thank God, uh, I went I went to the hospital, and the first day the doctor said, "Would you like to take the uh, uh, the malaria drug?" And I said, "Yes, I took it." And the next day, uh, things changed, and uh, uh, and I was I was home. Um, on the third day, I was sent home, and thank God, uh, I've came come through it. But Grant, you know a little bit of the Wilkerson heritage. Um, I was born into a family of, of prayer. I remember when I was uh, about 13 or 14, on a Thursday, I ran into my house to get a ball glove. I was not allowed to be in the house on Thursday because my father used that day to study and to pray. But I forgot about it, but I ran in the house and a friend followed me in, in the house. I got my ball uh, glove and told my friend, let's go. And he was frozen stiff. He was frozen stiff as if he had seen a ghost. And what happened is that he had heard a ghost, the Holy Ghost. He heard my father praying upstairs, praying and interceding, groaning in the spirit, speaking in tongues, uh, uh, as they often did, and my friend said, what's that? I said, oh, that's just my father praying. That sound of my father praying was the most common sound that I heard and I grew up in. And so we are a family that believes in the power of prayer. And when we, uh, my brother and I started the ministry to, to drug addicts, we just transferred um, how we were raised, we transferred that into that ministry. And as the drug addicts began to come in, in those days, the, there was no detox. If you wanted, if you were on drugs, you had to, you had to go cold turkey, they called it. And we would have those come in and we would lay hands on them. And not all of them got healed instantly, but some of them did. Uh, but the prayers helped them to get through their suffering and, and their pain, and God began to uh, uh, raise them up and, and to cure them. And so um, I, I thank God for my, my prayer heritage, and, uh, and, and I, I've sort of made it an informal study of prayer movements. And... Uh, I'd love to write a book about it sometime, but I, I just don't have the time. Um, but uh, I consider what you're doing, uh, Brock, uh, and through your ministries and what you're doing today to be one of the prayer movements that's in our country. Uh, and I am praying that God will send to America and to the nations of the world a spiritual awakening. We, we talk about revival. I prefer the term spiritual awakening is some revival happens in the church. And yes, you're praying for revival that will uh, awaken the church to, to, to Israel um, and, and um, that, that there be reconciliation between the, the, uh, the, the church uh, and ministries like yours. But I like the word spiritual awakening because that's what happens in society. And so America needs a spiritual awakening. Israel needs a spiritual awakening. And I'm praying that God will do it. And who knows? It could start somewhere. It could start a fire. Another kind of fire could be started somewhere in this country. A small fire uh, the fire of the Holy Spirit that would draw other people in. It could be on a milita <clears throat> military base. It could be at a, uh, at a university. It could be at a police precinct. It could be almost anywhere. It could happen in, in a church um, like the Fulton. I don't know if you know about the Fulton Street Prayer Meeting in, in Brooklyn years ago when they started with two or three people praying and it grew to hundreds and hundreds. I'm praying that that will happen in, in our country. So I commend you all for what you're doing 
because I've lived through miracles as a direct answer of prayer. Salvation of loved ones, healings of bodies, uh, healings between um, people's lives who have been broken. And, and so uh, God bless you for what you're doing. And, and Brad, thank you for giving me an opportunity to, to greet you today. Amen. Papa Don, would you, Pastor Don, would you please say a, a prayer blessing over the next generation to carry this mantle? in prayer and intercession and evangelism and through the fivefold ministry of the Lord. Yes, amen, amen. Lord, we, we ask you, we stand in the gap today, asking you, yes, to raise up another generation uh, that would carry on uh, the, the, the ministries that uh, are being effective today. I, I, I just pray, Lord, uh, that, that you would um, put it on the hearts of young pastors uh, together, together for prayer. Um, let, let there be an uprising of uh, home prayers uh, and so forth. And, and Lord, we know that the only way nations could be changed, the only way America could be changed is through the change of a heart, the transformation of a heart. And Lord, as we've seen that, and I've seen it so many times through the years, as, as I've seen drug addicts uh, cured and transformed, uh, and you took a heart of stone and made it a heart of flesh. God, do it again. Do it in the church. Do it in the society. Uh, we, we thank you for uh, those who are the leaders of this ministry right now. But Lord, may others follow in their footsteps and even do greater works, as Jesus said, greater works tell you do in my name. Lord, we ask you for those greater works to take place as we bind our hearts together and we continue to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you're going to do. Lord, help us to look beyond this moment. Look beyond what is happening in our country right now. Look, we look beyond it by faith to see what you can do and what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you so much, Pastor Don. What a blessing you've been to the church. We just love you and we honor you and your family and have a blessed weekend out there with your children. Hallelujah. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Jonathan, yeah. you, want to, you want to introduce Kevin? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have Kevin Jessup with us. Kevin is working closely with Jonathan Kahn and many leaders around the country in promoting a solemn assembly in Washington this fall called The Return. Uh, it's during the days of awe, so we're excited to be partnering with them. And um, Kevin, just wanted to give you an opportunity if you could just share for, uh, for a couple minutes with us. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan, uh, and, and Grant, both of you. Your ministries are uh, so vital today. And uh, in talking to Jonathan, I'm actually flying to New York uh, tomorrow to spend a few days with him in prayer. And we are so grateful for the 10 days ministry of you and Grant. And we look forward to partnering with you as we go into this fall season. And we're, we're looking at a great harvest. I believe we're about to see a move of God, a sovereign move of God that we've never seen before. And I, I, I have so much to share, but these uh, on September 26th is Yom Kippur. And I recently had uh, a dinner with um, uh, Danny Danon, the UN ambassador to Israel. And he said that in 70 years, they've done something that's never been done before. Uh, they actually got Yom Kippur to be the first officially recognized holiday ever to be observed at the United Nations. And so we're asking also presidents of nations and ambassadors from nations to join with us in the return on a national and global day of repentance. And so something just happened to my screen. I don't know if, uh, if you can still hear me or not. So We can still hear you. Okay. It looks like someone's sharing a screen. Okay, there we go. So um, 
the return, I can tell you what it is and what it isn't. The return is the remnant bride of Christ coming together at a moment, a Kairos moment in time. And that word Kairos is so important because it's a, it was a Greek word that was used for opportunity as it appears in the scriptures. And it is a, uh, scholars tell us, and I love what our brother just told us, it, it, it means a favorable opportunity and its derivatives imply the right moment which only lasts for a while. And uh, Kairos is a God-given opportunity. It's being offered to mankind at a very specific time and a moment in time. However, the word implies there's a risk of faith. In other words, as time moves on, we could miss the opportunity. So the test for us as a people is to recognize it and respond in obedience to the one who's offering it, uh, trusting in his ability to work through us to fulfill his purposes. And I believe that we're working in one of those Kairos moments now. And I believe that working together in unison under the leadership of Jesus Christ will be honoring the appeal of the Apostle Paul when he said, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity amongst yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus. And Jesus, when he prayed in the upper room, with his disciples that last night. He said, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. And so I, I just am praying for a unity of the bride of Christ to come together. I believe that before the foundations of the earth, the Lord was waiting for this very moment when he could come and inhabit his bride. And there's a, there's a bride that's going to rise up. And I believe God's doing uh, three specific things during this time, especially now, with especially COVID. It's God is, is cleansing his temple. He's going to allow his, his bride, his people, to enter into the full rest. And I believe that even in the days of the Israelites, to the judges, to the prophets, even into the New Testament, Hebrew says there's yet a rest to be entered into. But God's going to allow us to enter into that rest, which is the foundation of that rest is based upon the finished work of the cross and the shedding of his redemptive blood. And then the power of the Holy Spirit is going to infuse us with a faith, I believe, that's a militant faith. It's not a cocky faith, but it's a confident faith that the Lord has everything in his hands. And no matter what calamity may come, no matter what fear may rise, we rise above it because we know that God has everything in control in his hands. And so I believe that as, as it were, uh, I just want to share three scriptures. I'm so full. Uh, I don't know where to go first, but I'll say, I'll say this real quick because I know we're limited time. I believe that uh, I call it the five R's. There's, there's a word called repentance. And that, that word nobody wanted to talk about until recently. But repentance is the foundation. Out of repentance comes reconciliation. Out of reconciliation comes restoration. Then comes revival. And then finally, reformation. And we need it so badly. The Lord had given us uh, three scriptures about five years ago when I was traveling and working with Reinhard Bonnke. And I began to pray and, and meet with and talk to uh, Rabbi Khan. Uh, during over the course of this last five years, the Lord gave us three scriptures. One is Revelation 3.2, which says, uh, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're actually dead. So revive that which remains, because I'm not done with you yet. And repent, otherwise I'll come in an hour you know not of. And so number one, we've got to revive a dead church. We've got to come back to the things that we had and allow the Holy Spirit to revive it. I believe we have prodigals all over the nation who've grown cold and indifferent, but yet God saves us and then he keeps us. Hallelujah. He's going to rise up within those that had an encounter with him. Secondly, in Amos 8.11, the scripture says, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I'll send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they won't find it. If ever there's been a day that the prophetic word of Amos is alive, it's now. We have people running all over looking for a word from God, and all they have to do is go into their own prayer closet 
and fall on their face and seek the face of the Lord, and he'll come and speak to us. He'll tell us. The Holy Spirit will tell us all what we need to know. So I thank God that the Holy Spirit has never stopped moving. He's like the wind and the tide. He's always blowing. He's always rising. And today, all we're doing is setting our sails to the wind of the Holy Spirit because he's about to do a work. Isaiah says, the Lord says, I'm gonna, there's coming a time when I'm going to rise up for the sake of my own name. And finally, and he's about to do that. Uh, Psalm 71:17 says, since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation and your might to all who are yet to come. So number one, we've got to revive a dead church. We've got to breathe that Ruach, that Holy Spirit, back into the church once again. Number two, Amos 8.11 tells us that we have to interject the Word of God back into our dialogue, our national dialogue, and the global dialogue. The Word of God is the only thing we have. And number three, Psalm 71.17 is a mandate for us to lead the next generation into an encounter with the Holy Spirit and who He is and what He does and why we so desperately need Him today. So the return is not a performance. The return is not a concert. The return is not an event. I don't care whether 10 people come or 10 million people or a million. I'm not. If the Holy Spirit comes, then we'll see a move of God, a sovereign move of God. This is the time when we come and we bow before a holy God and we ask him in the midst of judgment to not leave us, but to come. As Moses contended for the people, come and and. Place your hand upon us again, Lord. Allow this latter rain outpouring to come upon all flesh and have your full measure, Holy Spirit, in our lives. And I have gone through so much uh, brokenness and the Holy Spirit still completing a work in, in us and in myself. And I come before the Lord every day in repentance. Uh, for we have nothing good in us. We can do nothing. We are nothing without the Holy Spirit. And so today we need that Holy Spirit. And this is what uh, the return is about. We're, we're trusting God to hear the cries of the people as we stand in the gap for the unrighteous so that every single person around the globe who's tuned into this simulcast, and we believe this will be the largest simulcast the world's ever had, that the residue of the Holy Spirit would reset the altars inside the homes across America and reset the, the, the altars and the homes across the world as men stand up and begin to grow hungry and thirsty uh, for the word of God to lead their families and their children and their wives back into prayer and, and have a hunger for the word once again. So I'm sorry I get excited about this, but um, uh, there, there's always four things that happen in 12 revivals in the Old Testament. There was a declination of sin then there was righteous judgment. Then there was a group of burdened leaders that rose up. And in all 12 revivals in the Old Testament, they all led to a sacred solemn assembly. This is a Nineveh moment. We're 40 days before the election on September 26th. It's 400 years since the, the pilgrims came. It's time for a Nineveh moment. Nothing less than a Nineveh moment of an entire nation getting on its knees before God uh, with a proclamation. And, and going out uh, to the world, watching America humble itself and pray. This is what's needed. This is what the return is about. And uh, there's so much more I could say, but Jonathan and Grant, thank you so much thank for your you. ministry. Thank you for having us on today. Please go to the return.org and uh, learn how to be involved in this great movement of repentance. It's not an event, it's a movement and it starts today. Thank you very much, bless you. Wonderful. And I, I went ahead and posted um, the website there in the chat. Um, Kevin, if you'd like to post more. At this point, we are going to ask um, our next panel. It, it leads so well in from what Kevin just shared. Our next panel is on the topic of repentance. And so if you're on that panel, uh, leave your video on. If you're not on that panel, if you just turn your video off. That would be helpful. We're just the way Zoom works, those that turn off, the, the, those who are still on video are going to come to the top. And 
Um, should be Lucien, Greg, Kevin, David Warren, and Alan Parker. Great. Let's see. I'm seeing Alan. Um, I'm seeing Dave. And I'm just going to. We are getting this figured out here. So many technical issues, but we are doing it. So thank you all for bearing with us. Right. Thank you, Lord. Right. So, um, one of the real pillars um, within 10 days is this idea of repentance. And this Second Chronicles 7.14 type gathering. Um, Greg, I'm going to just start this with you. And by the way, just to our speakers, what we're hoping for here, let me just cast a little vision first. We're just hoping for a, an open conversation between um, the five of you. Just that you'd be able to go back and forth, share insights. I'm just gonna ask an opening question. If, if I feel like you know there's an opportunity or we need to ask another question, we'll do that. But we just wanna hear from, from you. And if you could, even in just your first time that you speak, if you just state your name and where you're from, um, because we don't have time to introduce everyone. Um, but we just want to glean from what God has taught you over the years, especially on the topic of repentance. So, Greg, you were sharing in your message, um, I believe it was yesterday, that um, part of 10 days is it's a, it's a, it's a Second Chronicles 714 call to repentance. And just how you saw repentance as being a key part of this, what you called an in-time reformation or a final reformation before the Lord returns. Can you just speak more into that, um, that idea and that concept? What, what is this final reformation and what does repentance have to do with it? Absolutely. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, greetings, everybody. Hello to my good friends, Dave Warren, Alan Parker. Jonathan Grant, everybody else, Saad, the whole team. Um, I'm here right now in uh, eastern Massachusetts on Cape Cod where the pilgrims sighted land at first 400 years ago. And just looking back over the United States as we're talking, we're gonna pray. Um, to Jonathan's point of this final reformation, we have been in dialogue and discussion about how do we structure this segment how do we structure this 10 days uh, Pentecost call? And we came to the conclusions of these three R's and we have uh, called it revelation, repentance, and reformation. And the reason those for those three R's is because um, I think it was Kevin saying earlier, we didn't even need in many cases, we didn't even understand that the church had to repent. Um, I've been talking to Alan uh, particularly about this. He has a great framework of the four great sins of any nation that uh, is committed where God must judge that nation. It's forsaking God, sexual immorality, shedding of innocent blood, and greed, as he frames it out. And on the greed side, I think, for example, which is what I speak to and I spoke to yesterday, we need a revelation to have an understanding of, well, what do you mean? What's wrong with our capitalistic system? Isn't it free markets and the same thing the pilgrims were doing and what God was doing with the Israelites? No, it's not. There's many, many idolatrous problems with it, including our dependency on money and debt. Um, so I think to just wrap the intro here, we, get, we still need this revelation of, well, what is our sin? What is our complicity in idolatry? And we need to repent of that. We need to turn from it. And if you turn from it, it's not about, I'm sorry, Lord, only. 
You have to turn from it, which is the meaning of that word is a 180 degree turn in your path to go back to what God said is his requirements under his law, wisdom, and word. So that's the reformation piece is we need to come into reformation. We're going to have sustained true repentance. And this final reformation is really closely connected with Jesus's return. The scripture says that he will have a bride without spot or wrinkle. So we need a final reformation to get us there as the church together. So that's, that's how I intro it. Amen. Well, this is Alan Parker. Can you hear me all right? All right. So uh, since I was mentioned in there, I'm Alan Parker, president of the Justice Foundation. Uh, the kind of issue that we deal mostly with is the shedding of innocent blood and stopping in it, uh, stopping it in America. We work on pro-life issues. I've had the honor of representing Norma McCorvey, who was Roe of Roe v. Wade, in her legal efforts to reverse Roe v. Wade and also Sandra Kano, who was the Doe of Dobie Bolton in her efforts to reverse Roe v. Wade. And I represent thousands of women across the nation through Operation Outcry, which is women telling the devastation of abortion. Um, I also represent Mindy Tebow and Denny Tebow, the founders of the Moral Outcry Petition, and 264,000 500 people that they have gotten to sign the moral outcry petition. And many of you on this line have signed it and endorsed it at themoraloutcry.com. And we put those 264,500 names in front of the Supreme Court in a Louisiana abortion case, which the court is writing right now as we speak. And so legally, I can explain that abortion is a crime against humanity, which occurs when the government withdraws legal protection from a class of human beings. Uh, we now know that life begins at conception based on new seventh science, excuse me, in 1973, the court said, at this state in the development of man's knowledge, we don't know when life begins. Now we have DNA, now we have sonogram, many other things, we know it's a life. The Supreme Court has even said, some women come to regret aborting the infant life they once created and sustained. So the court has said at the moment it's aborted, it's a human life. It's not a potential life, it's not a fetus, human life. And they've said abortion hurts women, which is our third argument. The other thing that God has created is a better alternative to abortion. Every state in the union now has a better alternative to killing the child for women who want to be free of the burden of childcare, that they perceive to be a burden. We know every child is a blessing, but many people think of childcare as a burden and even think of having more than two children as an unfathomable burden that God could not help them with. So they stop having children after one or two. So we have the, but the alternative to abortion is the safe haven law. No woman has to take has to take care of a child, she can drop it off at a hospital or fire station within a set period of time after birth under her state safe haven law, and she doesn't have to take care of the baby. It's free, unlike abortion. So you don't have to pay an abortionist to kill your child. You don't have to injure yourself. Every state says there are no unwanted babies. Even in New York and California, there are no unwanted babies. The women can drop them off at no charge within three days of birth in California at a fire station or hospital, and the state will take care of that baby until our fifth argument comes into place. There are two million people waiting to adopt newborn children in America. So the moral outcry solution to reverse Roe v. Wade is love, love, love. Love the baby, don't kill the child. It's justice for the baby. Love the mother, it's mercy for the mother. Don't hurt yourself. Give us the baby. And then it's love for the families that are waiting to adopt children. So that's the legal analysis. But I want to go back to the spiritual analysis at this point for just a brief time. Because this is a critical time for prayer. 
When the Lord told us to collect the women's testimonies in the year 2000 and to take them back to the court and that it would change the heart of the court, which it already has done. When I said the Supreme Court said it, some women come to regret aborting the infant life they once sustained and created, it was women's testimonies that made the Supreme Court say that. We know that because in the opinion, they cited the two pages of our brief of 180 women hurt by abortion for that testimony. They cited the women's brief twice, and it was the pages where the women's testimonies was. So 50 years ago on March 3rd, 1970, Roe v. Wade began in Dallas. That means March 3rd of 2020 was the Jubilee year, the beginning of the 50th year. On March 4th, the next day of this Jubilee year, the Supreme Court heard the argument in the Louisiana abortion case. And we gave them 4,660 testimonies of women hurt by abortion. We represented 2,624 women hurt by abortion. All that could only happen by God and 20 years of labor. We gave them the sworn testimony of Norma McCorvey and Sandra, De Sandra uh, Kano, Roe and Doe, asking them to reverse their cases and the names of a quarter, over a quarter million Americans. And they heard that argument on March 4th. And you know what happened after that? The overwhelming scourge of the coronavirus shut down the Supreme Court for the next two months. They had canceled all their arguments in March, all their arguments in April, and they only could think about the last thing they heard, Louisiana abortion. Are we gonna stop the shedding of innocent blood? And for, in Melinda Tebow's case, we said, somebody needs to mute. In the second case, in her case, we even put the cry of Esther, who came before the king with fear and trembling and said, please stop the slaughter of my people. How else could I live? And so we quoted scripture, we had testimonies, we had very strong legal analysis, which has been adopted in the subsequent case by Justice Kavanaugh himself in a separate concurrence. So God is moving but we need to pray. And Isaiah 28, seven, some th key things, keep praying from today. I hope we're gonna pray, but pray from now until June 30th or whenever the decision comes out. There are five major Supreme Court decisions right now. We must be praying for the court. And we've committed the four great sins that bring national destruction. Number one was forsaking God. And it was the Supreme Court who did that on behalf of all Americans in 1962, the school prayer case, we don't want you anymore in America. God, get out of here. We do not want you. And God left. And the destruction and judgment has been going down and down and down since 1962 in various phases. 1971 and 70, when we forsake God's law, God says in Hosea 4, 6, if you forsake my law, I will forget your children. Can we believe that God would forget our children? No, no. But his law says it. And who was hurt the most by taking God out of the schools? The children. In 1970 and 71, we got no-fault divorce. Who's the worst hurt by the no-fault divorce? The children. 73, we began to kill children in the womb in America infant lives created by God. So that was the second great sin, shedding innocent blood. First, the Supreme Court broke the covenant, then they shed innocent blood. Unfortunately, the no-fault divorce was by the people through the legislatures. Sexual immorality has been heightened by the Supreme Court by protecting obscenity, pornography, strip dancing, and finally even gay marriage and other forms of perversion. So. The last is greed, because even this, in the book of Ezekiel, it says even Sodom and Gomorrah's sin was not homosexuality like we think. That was not its only sin. Ezekiel says they were fat and careless and arrogant, and they didn't care for the poor. 
and they committed abominable deeds. So that's where America is. And there is a remnant, Alan, a righteous remnant. But Alan, we uh, yes. Alan, let me just uh, let me just switch gears a little bit here. Um, I just appreciate the way you're sharing um, a number of things that we need to repent of. But I'm just wondering if I could ask the panel, and anyone feel free to answer this question. And let's let's just try and keep our responses um, maybe to a minute or two. We just want to be able to hear from everybody and have a dialogue. Um, but when is an example where you have seen effectual repentance in your life and ministry where there's been, um, you know, you've done the second Chronicles 714 thing, and then you've seen God respond in a very specific way. Just wonder if you all could share some examples of that. And, and let's, let's make sure we just, just want to keep the, um, keep the dialogue going between you all. Jonathan, this is Dave. Can you hear me? Can hear you. Yeah, I'd love to share an example. So I'm a I'm a campus minister um, in 1995 at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, and um, God shows up. And um, specifically, I was in a room with other uh, full-time campus ministers and students, and there were only about 50 or 60 of us from about five different ministries, so it was not a large gathering, but um, God just moved and came in, and um, there was holiness, God's holiness in the room, and, um, and God specifically revealed in my heart, at, at, I was asking him if I, I had anything I needed to repent of, and you know, if you ask a holy God that question, he's probably got one or two things on his mind, but anyway, he speaks to me in a very powerful way, and, and essentially what he reveals in my heart is not only some anger towards some things, not only frustration, but he specifically puts the laser beam on hatred in my heart, and I did not see it before then. I did not understand it. He puts the laser beam on me. I'm in tears. I'm, I'm crying like a three-year-old, and, and then God does this with others too, of course. But anyway, from that moment on, God began to birth a, a revival on the campus and in my heart and in our other students and, and so forth. Anyway, lo long story short, you want specific results. One is that we could hardly lead anybody to faith. And after this move of God in our hearts as believers, um, we started seeing all kinds of people come to faith. And the ministry eventually grew from about 100 students to about 600 students. And, and I can say that it was all because of that moment of repentance. It was very much a uh, Second Chronicles 714 moment, and, and God did a wonderful, wonderful work. That's beautiful. Some of, some of the rest of you, um, what are some moments where you've seen God move powerfully uh, through repentance in your lives? Wow, I had, uh, you know, as a young man, I grew up in an Assembly of God home with a uh, father who was an Assembly of God pastor. He had a moral failure and uh, left my two older sisters and my mother and I, and uh, my mother remarried my real name. My mother's name was Robinson, but she married Kenneth Miles. So when I was adopted by Elvin Jessup, I didn't know that until I was 13. And um, I had uh, fatherhood issues when I learned that my father uh, had left us, and it was it was a real problem. And then, uh, as, as those of you who know my testimony, I ran away from home after watching at the age of 13 a movie called The Godfather, and I wanted to join the mafia and become a hitman. I went to Las Vegas, and for three years I lived on the street and had a terrible uh, life, and ended up in in prison and. Uh, I, I cried out the name of Jesus in that prison cell, and God saved me and pulled me out of a dark pit. And I ended up going on the road with an evangelist and um, doing Christian television back with Jerry Bernard and 40 years ago and traveling, doing youth camps with Jack Hayford and all these great men of God throughout my life. And I worked with Jim Baker, and I went through that fall. I, I went through the fall 
when I left Baker and went to Jimmy Swaggart and I lived through that debacle. And then uh, finally, years later, uh, God uh, introduced me to a guy named Reinhard Bonnke and I became his crusade director and began praying with him. And that whole purpose, I believe, of my relationship with Bonnke was to restore the image of integrity and fatherhood back into my life that had been, I didn't know. Uh, one weekend I took my wife and we went to a hotel room and I began to weep like a baby as I was telling her my experiences through life. And I realized that the brokenness of, of not having a real father figure and God's restored, praise God, he's a, he's a, a God of restoration. Uh, the relationship with Jimmy and, and with Jim and so many others has been restored. Thank God. But um, I didn't know how deeply I was affected and I wept over my, my stepfather and I had all kinds of issues and the Holy Spirit came in and erased all of those. Like, like our friend was just telling, I was weeping like a baby as the Holy Spirit was washing all of that, uh, that concern and, and bitterness out that I didn't even know I had. And so when the Holy Spirit is, he's like a, the, the, the Bible says he's a mirror. You know, we, we look in the, in the word of God and it shows us the dirt in our life. And yet it shows us how to cleanse it too. And uh, the Holy Spirit is a, uh, the, the word of God's like a, uh, uh, a four course meal. It says it's, it's milk, it's meat, it's bread, it's honey. And uh, I, I remember saying, and I'll just end it here. I remember saying, Lord, you, you want to come and dine with us and have supper with us, but I don't know what I'm going to serve you. And uh, you've given us such richness of, of uh, food in your word. And the Holy Spirit said, I, I want the fruit. And I broke down and began to weep because I thought, Lord, I don't have enough fruit to give you in my life. And so the Holy Spirit began to show me things and began to do a work. And I began to hunger and thirst for that work for him to cleanse. And so I think that this is, you know, long, uh, Joseph and Jesus were such the same. And Joseph had five garments that he changed in the course of his life. But in between those five garment changes, the Lord was perfecting the faces of his anointing, the lion, the ox, the eagle, and the man. And there's a whole study on that that we can, we can dig into. We don't have time to today, but the Lord is quietly perfecting us through the power of his Holy Spirit. And he allows us to digest at the pace we're able to eat. And I, I just thank the Holy Spirit for the full measure of his work in us. Sometimes it takes 30, 40 years, but he's always there. Jesus is always there. He's never left us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And, and, and I remember those Chilean miners who were stuck in that pit and I watched as they pulled out one by one and I remember thinking on that day watching those Chilean miners pull out of that pit Lord you pulled me out of that pit where I had no hope I'm so grateful that not only does he save us but by the power of his Holy Spirit he reveals to us the nature that he wants us to become in him and so I I just constantly every day repent and ask the Lord to uh, have his full measure in, in our lives. And, and, he, and he does if we do. He's, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He'll only do what we allow him to do. But the more I allow him to do, the more I want him to do. So praise God. That's, that's so good, Kevin. Thanks so much. And um, I'm going to approach you with a new degree of respect now that I know that you are a former mafia person. <laughs> um, just a, a question I hear from time to time um, in terms of repentance is, and I hear this quite a lot, is we've already repented, we've already done that, maybe at salvation people think um, that was enough repentance, or maybe we've done a few solemn assemblies and people kind of get sick of this place of repentance I, I just wonder if a few of you could address that quickly, and then we're going to, this will be the last question. Lucien, maybe? Yes, I would love to do that. Um, repentance has been part of my life, so um, it's a natural flow. And I wanted to read, for, I'm 
by the way, Lucian Sawyer, and I have Raya International. Raya is um, the word of friend from Exodus 33:11, And it is, was Moses having a relationship with God that was face-to-face -face as a Raya, as a friend. And in that heart, in that spirit, Hannah prayed for a son, and God gave her a son. And he said, but I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul, and I will build him an enduring house, and he will walk before my anointed always. <clears throat> and just before that, she has a song. And in the song, it is a um, antidote and a or antitype or a new way of seeing Job 23, 17. Job cried out and said, I will not be silenced by darkness nor the gloom that overshadows me. But in this verse, it says, he keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. So repentance to me is an ongoing relationship just like an ongoing relationship with any of the, our loved ones or friends. And I think what's most important, I was praying with the Lord last night. I was up most of the night praying for my city, Portland, Oregon. And the Lord said, you must have revelation for repentance. And I really believe that what is on the heart of God is anger that was mentioned. And he had said to me in the last 10 days this fall when I was helping out Jonathan, and others, he said, will you love me in my wrath? When we love the Lord, when we do not understand the things that are around us, when we remain his friends, it is a loving, gracious focus to be constantly in an understanding of repentance to his heart and soul. We are, we collectively are priests of God, male and female, Jew, Greek, slave, free, black, white, all the other colors. If we can get, we're not the problem, we're the solution. The enemy's the problem, the enemy's of what's on God's heart, and that's on my heart, because what concerns the groom concerns the bride. So I just want to come before you with repentance is joy. It's a breakthrough of our hearts that realize I'm not trying to get what I want, I'm trying to understand what he needs. And yeah, okay, God doesn't need anything. Yeah, well, he included us. And in, um, I just want to scroll to it very quickly, and I guess I won't have time, but we also have to understand he's coming back for everything. He's not just coming back for the souls of men. He is coming back for all of his creation. So the repentance for how we have dealt with things, how we've not stewarded things, we're losing the youth because we're not relating to what they're caring about too, and I care about it. So my heart is in all of this, is that we get excited about prayer. We stop killing prayer. Prayer is a fun, amazing, revelatory relationship. It's a relationship that is birthed out of love for each other and love for him. It is, he reveals things to us constantly. I spent the entire day studying one word and just blown away with what God gave us. So Lord, I just come before you and I wanna just say a quick prayer over everyone ending this. I ask for a spirit of revelation understanding about your heart and your soul, and we would be concerned about that. And that, through that, is how we understand mystery. And we understand what the war is and who we're fighting. Thanks. Thanks so much, Lucien. That was great. Dave, I'm just going to give you the last word here. Um, would you... Uh, just uh, share a little bit, why do we need ongoing repentance? And then just pray us out of this segment, if you would. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, I think of all the admonitions that Paul gives throughout the epistles and the other epistle writers, it's very clear, don't do this, do this. And God is working in my heart every day when I read the Bible. And so it's like, even though the word, the word repent is not in all of those verses. Paul is still saying, don't do this. Come over here and do this. Follow the Lord this way. 
is all involves repentance. So obviously it needs to be ongoing. And then also, um, I have just been really challenged by the Lord and challenging other people in my ministry, um, which, by the way, is called Forerunners of America. I forgot to mention that in my first comments. But anyway, um, from the churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, because, Jonathan, I've run into this, too. It's like we're the church. We don't have to repent. We're under the blood. It's the church age. It's all grace. And so I've run into this, too. And so God has really been giving me a message out of the churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 because we are in the last book of the Bible. We are in the, the, uh, age, the church age. We are post-resurrection, post-crucifixion, post-outpouring of the Spirit, meaning post-Pentecost. And, and yet God is calling, Jesus specifically is calling his church to repentance in Revelation 2 and 3. Five of the seven churches are called on by Jesus to repent of very specific sins. And then Jesus goes on to explain that um, here are the rewards if you follow through on repentance. Here are the consequences if you don't follow through on Repentance. So here we are in the last book of the Bible, and God could not be more clear. And so I believe, whether I'm reading the epistles or I'm reading the Revelation, look, it's everywhere. And with that word, I will uh, I will pray and hand it back uh, hand it back to you. So Father, we come to you, Lord God, and we are reminded that in so many ways, ground zero is a humbling of ourselves in turning from our wicked ways. So, God, we come to you, God, and we say, Holy Spirit, shine in our hearts, God. Show us those areas, God, that we've allowed to creep in, even sometimes imperceptibly, at least to us, and we have not detected where our own hearts have have allowed lies and and, and rebellion and waywardness in compromise and negligence where we've not seen it, God, come and show us your, your uh, uh, conviction in our hearts, God. We do believe that the Holy Spirit was sent to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. God, we pray, Father, that we would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in sin, righteousness, and judgment. We commit this, this, uh, this next segment to you, and we we declare these things in Jesus' name. Amen.